Good morning, everyone. Everyone that could get out of their pajamas today, good morning. It's hard. After Christmas, it's just hard to get going again. I, I know it. I, uh, I was there. I have some uh, awesome PJs that I wore all week. Thank you, Christy, by, way, by the way, of being uh, obedient to the Holy Spirit. I could feel his presence in here now, especially after that first service in worship. And uh, one of the things, one of the key indicators for me, and this may happen to you, I could just feel God's presence and it starts to, my palms start to just get hot. And so it's funny that as you just sat there, man, it just, it, it's like coal, someone just putting hot coals in my hand. And I know that's when the Holy Spirit is moving. And not, moreover, he wants to start doing some work in us or in someone. And so I'm always in tune. Thank you for being obedient to the Holy Spirit. It's always a safe place to be. Uh, what you saw, you saw uh, Isaiah uh, talking about uh, ministry training. We're going to, for anybody who's just been wondering, well, how do, I, how do I operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit? How do, I, how do I operate in ministry? How do I even love somebody? You know, I mean, really, just, it just starts with loving somebody. And so I'm going to train you guys on, on January 16th from 9 to 3. Anybody who would like to be here, and it's just so you can be who you're called to be. That's the whole purpose of it. It's so you can, be, you can be equipped to be a saint to do the work of the ministry. Equipped to do the work of the ministry. I and mean, that's, your, that's your role as priests, as saints of the, of the utmost high. And so the God most high. And so we're going to train on that. And many of you probably struggle with, I don't know, because I've, I've already written myself off because of my own struggles. But we're going to help you with that as well uh, on February 1st, 2nd, 3rd. It's one conference, three nights two hours, two and a half hours, and we're going to just try to do all we can to give you what you need to find freedom in your life for your family, for your finances, for yourself. And so it, it's huge. I don't, I don't want you to miss either one of those. I really want to get you activated here in 2021. And so we're talking today, we've been talking about uh, fresh wind. We've been talking about the Holy Spirit. We've been, ta been talking about the need for the Holy Spirit. We've been talking about, we started talking about Abraham, which was our father, who is our father of faith. Uh, which we talked about faith uh, and the importance of it, what that really means to have faith. We started this month with that, and then we talked about hope. We talked about the Holy Spirit came and, and it gives us hope, and it's that hope, uh, Scripture actually tells us, that helps us to enter into His presence behind the veil. It's interesting. I'm going to make some sense of that later on in this message. And then we talked about love, and we talked about Jesus uh, on Christmas. We talked about love. And how he came and what he came to give us and the environment, the world, what the world looked like when Jesus came. Well, it's not much different than today. God's, still, God's word is still reverberating in those same principles, same pra practices, and the same need for the same things. And Jesus came to teach us about those things. But Jesus said, hey, you need the Holy Spirit. I'm going to leave him. I'm going to leave you the comforter. I'm going to leave you. I'm going to leave you uh, the helper so Jesus left us this helper. But why do we need this helper? I don't need help. I'm good. I'm all, I, I can figure this thing out on my own. And so why do we need this helper? Why do we need the Holy Spirit? Number one is identity and belonging. Number one, the number one reason is identity and belonging. In John 16, 8 and 9, it says, And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. That's the Holy Spirit of sin because they do not believe in me. Now, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin so that we will understand, whoa, I, I can't do this thing on my own. I need help. My way of doing life has done nothing but bring me problem after problem, struggle after struggle. I'm in need of a Savior, and so the conviction of sin is to help us to understand I don't have a way out. I need a Savior. So the whole purpose is that we will discover, we will realize, I'm in need of a Savior. Because without a Savior, we will never be saved. And so we have to come to this point, and that's the first, the primary role of the Holy Spirit, is to convict us of sin in our darkness, in our moments, in our ways of living, our own ways of living, so that we'll come to a Savior. Now, and so uh, when I got saved, I got saved at, at my grandmother's lake house. Um, I wasn't in church, believe it or not. Uh, you don't have to be in church to get saved. Now, it's just like you don't have to be at a funeral home to die. It'd be convenient, but you don't have to be in a funeral home to die. So I was at my grandmother's lake house. 
And so I remembered that season of life and all that it came. But after you get saved, after you get saved, you want to be in church. And you should be in church. You need to get plugged in. But in that moment, what I remember the most, the reason I came to my grandmother knowing that she had the answer because I'd watched her live it out, I told her, I'm desperate, I'm in need, I need help, I don't know what to do. And she says, Nathan, I know what to do. Are you ready to give your life to Jesus? And I said, yes. And she walked me through understanding what it means to give my life to Jesus. What I felt, what I remember, was that deep state of conviction. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. It was a deep state, a deep feeling of conviction. And if you've truly been saved, then you too remember what it felt like to be in that deep state of conviction where I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. I am in desperate need of a Savior. And when you got saved, you didn't get partially saved. You didn't just get saved from your situation. You didn't get saved just, just a little bit of, you know what, I'm going to give you this part, Jesus. I'm going to give you this part of my life, but you can't have this. No, when we get saved, we give Jesus access to be the Lord, the King of kings and the Lord of lords over all of our lives. There's a statement we say, Jesus is Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. You see what I'm saying? So everything continually throughout our lives through this marathon of life that we have has to be yielded and surrendered and brought under Jesus and the Holy Spirit is needed to help us for that loving conviction so that he can do this next part. Let's look at, and I'll show you this, 1 Corinthians 12, 3 says that no one, no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. No one comes to Jesus unless the Holy Spirit leads them. So you need the Holy Spirit so that you can have the conviction of your sin. You also need the Holy Spirit because it's only the Holy Spirit. Now, it, my grandmother may have been talking to me, but it was the Holy Spirit leading me to her. The Holy Spirit was leading me through that conversation. And same for you. Someone may have led you or you may have in your own bedroom said, no, I, I took myself to Jesus. No, you didn't. You were listening to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, which led you to Jesus. And Jesus is wanting to lead you to the Father. Because no one comes to the Father except Jesus lead them. So, no one can say that they came to Jesus except by way of the Holy Spirit. Next, John 16, 10 and 11. The Holy Spirit convicts us of righteousness because I, Jesus, go to my Father and you see me no more. Jesus is not here on earth. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father interceding for you and I. Uh, you won't see me, he says. I'm going to be sitting at the right hand of the Father. And the scripture says that the Holy Spirit will convict us of righteousness. This, doesn't, this is right standing before the Father. Not your righteous living, your right living. That's not what it means. Now, you should live right. But what this is talking about right here is God, the Holy Spirit is wanting to convict you that you are in right standing with the Father if you are in Christ. And we need this conviction because without this conviction, Satan manipulates us with shame, condemnation, and guilt and paralyzes us from being all God created us to be. And so we, when we don't understand, no, I'm in right standing with the Father because of what Christ did for me. And by grace, I received Christ. And I knew I needed Christ, a Savior, because of the conviction of my sin. I knew I was worthless without it. I was unworthy. I was, I was terrible. My, my life was in shambles, whatever the case. I got a Savior. Now the Savior is reminding me, no, you're, you're, the Holy Spirit is, by way of the Holy Spirit is reminding me, you're in right standing with the Father. Okay, I need to know that I am in right standing with with the Father. Why? Because that reminds me that I belong and that my identity is now in Him. But let me give you another word for convict. Convince. Because when you're convicted about something, all of a sudden you're convinced about something. You are convinced towards something. If you're convicted about an area of finances and you start to finally start to budget and manage them, no, I'm convicted about this. I need to do something about this. Here's what I do. I'm convinced that there is something I need to do to make the change. And from that moment on, I'm convinced to never go backwards. If you're convicted about something in your marriage, I'm convicted about something. I'm convinced that this is the only way out, and I'm going to do this thing to keep me out of this thing. If you're convicted about a, 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 a revelation in the Word of God, I'm convicted. The Holy Spirit convicted me. I'm convicted about this. I'm convinced 
that this is the only way I can follow God in this area of my life. So when you're convicted, you get convinced about something. If you have conviction about something in life, you are convinced. And he wants to convince you that now that you have believed in Jesus, you are in right standing with the Father. Because if you're not convinced, then you will always be manipulated by Satan. You will always walk in a state of shame or guilt or condemnation, which is never from the Father. So he convicts us of sin so we will believe, and once we believe, he convicts us that we are now in right standing with God. Verse 11, of judgment, the Holy Spirit convicts us of judgment because uh, the ruler of this world is judged. The ruler of this world is judged. At that point, the ruler of the world was Satan. Let me show you, let me show you that, how we know that. And go to the next verse. John 12, 31 says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. When? Not in the future. Not several centuries from now. Not in 3,000 years from now. Now, Jesus is saying, the judgment of this world is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And at that point, Satan was the ruler of the world. Look at John 14, 30. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. Now, what, ne- what would happen next over the next several days would Jesus, we'd go to the Last Supper, and Jesus would be taken to the cross, beaten, tattered, bruised, crown of thorns on, on his head, taken to the cross. What happened during that three days, Jesus was telling the people right here, he's, he, what he did was he went down, he stripped Satan of his authority, Colossians, later Paul says that, God, that Jesus made a public spectacle of Satan, past tense, not future tense, past tense. And so he ripped him of the, took back the dominion of this world that Satan had, not has. He's not currently the ruler of this world. And you may have been taught that, but he is not the ruler of this world. He may be telling you that, which may be a problem. Because you haven't been convicted of the judgment, the judgment that Jesus was talking about that the Holy Spirit says. We need to be convicted that the ruler, the former ruler of this world, has been defeated by Jesus after Jesus was on the cross and before he was resurrected. This is the conviction of the Holy Spirit that convicts us of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. And so here's, here's the conviction. And le- until we get convicted that we need a Savior, we will not be saved. Until we are convicted that we are in right standing with the Father, we will always, always struggle. Once we are convicted with, uh, by the right stand, that we're in right standing with the Father, if we are not convicted that the ruler of this world is judged, we will always listen to his little whispers and we will be manipulated by the hurts and soul, the wounds in our soul, and he will have a way in and out of our lives and we will hand over power to Satan in our lives which, pronounce, which brings about the struggles that God's people deal with. Satan had no, the only authority, only power rather that Satan has is the power that believers give him. So the moment I'm tempted by something, and then I act upon that thing, in that moment I am handing power over to Satan to manipulate my life and lead my life. Now, believers give Satan the credit for having done that. Satan maybe do it. The devil maybe do it. You've heard this, right? No. He tempted you, and you decided to give over a power to him so that you would, so now he can manipulate you. So we have to be convicted that the ruler of this world is judged. I have authority over him. If I'm in Christ Jesus, I have the authority in this world. The authority is not my own authority. That is authority given by grace through Jesus Christ. He's my Savior. I'm in right standing with the Father. And Satan, you can't tempt me. You can't, you can't manipulate me. I won't listen to your lies anymore. We need that conviction as well because until we've been convinced of that, we will be continually be led away and led astray into our continual cycle of sin life. We need to be healed from those things as well. That's why we have the Freedom Conference. 
And that's what he wants to convict you of. And many believers are walking around without this conviction, and they are they're defeated by Satan, and they are still in need of these three convictions, or the last two convictions. We have to be convinced that we're in right standing with the Father, convinced that the ruler of this world, the former ruler of this world has already been judged. He has no power. He has no authority over me unless I give that power away. And the moment you realize this, you can take that power back because you actually have authority over Satan. Number two is this. The reason we need the Holy Spirit is because of purpose. Because of purpose. A few weeks ago, I studied a, a, some Hebrew, and I gave you a, this letter. I gave you specifically this letter right here, which is He. Remember, we were talking about Abraham, when Abram, God changed Abram to Abraham. He, he opened his name up and poured out his spirit upon Abraham, Abram, and it became Abraham. That, that H-H-A is actually this letter right here, which signifies the breath, spirit, or the wind of God. The spirit of God was poured out upon Abraham, and so he was empowered from that day forward, and that's when the promise of Isaac came and the blessings began to overflow in Abraham's life, who is the father of our faith. Now... This letter right here is pronounced he. It's actually he. But what it means is ruach. And this is the breath, wind, and spirit. Ruach. Now, when you, when you spell out ruach, it's this letter delet, vav, and he. You need to see this. This right here is the symbolism in Jewish culture of door, of a door. This right here is of man. The vav is of man or mankind. Could also mean the first man, Adam, or the last man, Christ. And this, again, is he, or spirit of God. Who is the door? I'm going to show you in a minute, in case you didn't know. Man and the Holy Spirit. God's purpose, his plan, was that man be completely surrounded by Christ and the Holy Spirit. Let me show you this as we continue. John 10, 9 says, I, this is Jesus talking. Who was the door? Let me get you closer. Everybody's going to get this by the time we're over. Jesus was the door, is the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. You mean I'm going to go out and get to graze on some hay? No? You're going to be eating good. You're going to live. This word right here means purpose. In the Hebrew, I'm sorry, the Greek, this word pasture actually means purpose. Anybody that comes through me, I'm going to give them ability to go in and out they will be saved only by way of me, and they're going to find purpose for their life. And he gives us direction and instruction on how to find that purpose right there. And we're going to, we're going to talk about that all through this, this message. So why three baptisms? Why three baptisms? Uh, the Holy Spirit, number one here is this. This is the first baptism. The Holy Spirit baptizes us in Christ. We get, when we come to Christ... Hold the Holy Spirit is the one who baptizes us in Christ. So you don't get a little bit of Christ. You don't get, well, I want to just want you to I want to just want to be saved from this issue over here. No, again, he wants to be Lord of all. So you're choosing to make him Lord of all. So the Holy Spirit, remember, leads us to Christ, and there's a baptism into Christ. 1 Corinthians 12:13 says, For by one spirit. We were all baptized into one body. Who's the body? We're the body. And who are, the, who are we the body of? Christ. We all, in Christ Jesus, if you are saved, you are part of the body of Christ. And every body part has a responsibility and a role. Every body part that has a responsibility and a role finds purpose once they find their purpose in Christ. So you just, as you discover your responsibilities and your role, that's when you start to find that pasture, that green field. Remember, David said he leads, me, he leads me along calm waters into green pastures. Well, when you start to find purpose, everything just starts to flow in life. Why? Because Jesus is truly Lord of all, and you're yielded to him and surrendering to him and being led by the Holy Spirit because you are a part of the body and you have received, you understand your assignment in this part, in your part of the body. The second baptism is the disciple baptizes us in water. Who are the disciples? We're all disciples. A few weeks ago, we did a baptism. There was a, a, a baptism right here. I didn't do the baptizing. 
Dean Burkhalter actually did the baptizing. Throughout the history of their church, we have, have different people doing the baptizing. I do some if people specifically ask me to baptize them. But I like whenever fathers baptize their children. The only requirement is to be a disciple. To be a disciple of Jesus Christ. In fact, if you guys ever, if there's ever anybody that says, hey, I really want to get baptized. Can you, can you, can you, can you tell me whenever your church is going to do that again? You don't have to do that. We have a pond out here. You can say, hey, I'll just take you out there and I'll baptize you myself because I'm a disciple. Or I know somebody that has a swimming pool. We can go to Lake Athens. We can go to Cedar Creek Lake. I know somebody that has a hot tub. Let's go to Holiday Inn and we, they have a pool there. I can baptize you now. We don't have to wait. Why? Because you're a disciple. Disciples baptize us in water. Okay? Is that clear? So Jesus says this. It's direct from Jesus in Matthew 28, 19. As you go, as you're just doing life, as you're at Walmart or as you're at Brookshire's or maybe you're at church or maybe you're in your small group, maybe you're at the lake, whatever the case may be, as you go, as you're just doing life, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Number three, the third baptism. Jesus baptizes us in, in the Holy Spirit. So if you've ever had anybody ask you, hey, have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Well, you're, if you're saved, then yes, you've actually received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But the baptism in the Holy Spirit is really what they're talking about. And Jesus does that baptizing. This is the baptism that people are, I don't know about that. You know, I want Jesus, but I'm not so, so sure I want everything Jesus has to offer. Because that's when we're saying, what we're saying will become standoffish to the baptism in or with the Holy Spirit. We're good with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's Jesus. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll get saved. But wait a minute, Jesus wants to give you something too. Do you, are you saved unto him? So let's look at them together. The Holy Spirit baptizes us in Christ. That's the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The disciple baptizes us in water. Jesus baptizes us in or with the Holy Spirit. Now, this is the promise. Remember, we've been talking about the promise. This right here is the promise of Jesus. It's the promise that he told us about time and time again, that he told the disciples about time and time again before he left in his resurrected body. Jesus wants to immerse us completely, surrounding to surround us to overflow us in the Holy Spirit. In the same way, the blood of Jesus washes over you for salvation because of that holy, the baptism of the Holy Spirit into Christ. The same way, a disciple. This is why I, I make clear, make sure that listen. When you baptize them, we're not sprinkling somebody. We're immersing them completely in the water. You cover every aspect of them because that's what baptism is, to completely immerse someone into whatever it is they're being baptized in. And so the blood of Jesus doesn't partially run over you. It fully runs over you. When you get water baptized, you don't get sprinkled. You know, the Pope doesn't get a water gun and shoot you from afar because of COVID-19 and he doesn't want to get sick. No. A disciple come, takes you... <laughs> by your own will, and baptizes you in water, completely immersing you. Then, when Jesus, when you are ready to receive the gift, the promise, Jesus does the baptizing in or with his Spirit. So the baptism in the Holy Spirit is in every gospel. But in Matthew, Mark, and Luke... The first three books of the, Bible, of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they start in the beginning of Jesus' life, and then they skip to the third year of his ministry. They skip the first two years. But in 70 AD, John, which was one of the disciples and apostles, he said, wait a minute, we need to really document everything Jesus did in the first two years of his ministry. So John comes and writes, remember the letter says, in the beginning was the word. In the beginning, it's so poetic. And the word was God, the word was with God, and the word was God. Everything comes from Jesus. Scripture says that it's from him, through him, back to him. It's all about him. And so 
So John writes these first two years of Jesus' ministry that Matthew, Mark, and Luke overlook. But there is, there is four things that are in all four Gospels. The death, the burial, the resurrection, and the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Let me show you. In Matthew 3, 11, it says, I indeed, this is John the Baptist speaking, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. There's going to be some purification. Mark 1, 8. And I indeed baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. With. Luke 3.16, John answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Jesus is ready to do some baptizing. John 1.33, I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would descend on people, but he wouldn't always stay on them. Think about King Saul. He was the first king after the last judge, judge the last judge being a prophet Samuel. King Saul... The Holy Spirit was upon King Saul until he sacrificed without Samuel being there. And at that point, God was displeased with King Saul and lifted his Holy Spirit from King Saul. The next king was King David. The Holy Spirit was upon King David as well until he sinned with Bathsheba. And at that point, we see in Psalm 51, David saying this because he knows the li life without the Holy Spirit is like living hell on earth. Well, you won't go to hell if you have Jesus, but you'll live like you feel like you're living in hell without the baptism in the Holy Spirit. He says, do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. When we're rejecting the baptism in the Holy Spirit, we're actually rejecting the generosity of God. It's a generous spirit. No, no, no. No, 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 I'm good. My life is good at status quo. Can I just stay in my bondage and you just kind of leave me alone? I just don't want to go to hell. Can we just keep it right there? Because everything else starts to get weird. I've seen and I've heard some stuff. I've seen pews being jumped. I've seen people rolling down the aisle. I've seen a lot of things that are just kind of crazy. And I don't want to be possessed by the Holy Spirit. These are all mythical. The Holy Spirit will not possess you. The Holy Spirit will not make you speak in other languages. It is upon your willingness to yield and receive. And the Holy Spirit will never make you jump over a chair. Are you hearing me? In fact, the Holy Spirit will never do anything that you don't want to happen. But He sure will, he sure will come upon you as if the, a dove was descending upon you. He sure will begin to give you clarity and understanding and empowerment that you need to live this life out fully fulfilled and empowered. He'll, he'll give you these things. So, so remember, after John baptized Jesus in the Holy Spirit, the, I'm sorry, in the baptized Jesus in the water, the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus like a dove. A dove did not descend upon Jesus. I, I always think about, I think about uh, the Holy Spirit baptism every September. Dove season comes around, and I'm out in the field, and I've got my mojo out, or somebody's got some mojos out. Mojo is a little thing that stands there, and it's flapping with wings, making it look like dove. And, and these dove come in, and they want to light ever so peacefully. And I'm thinking, thank you, Holy Spirit. And then I shoot them. And I, <laughs> I'm not shooting the Holy Spirit. I'm just shooting these dove that are so precious and good to eat. So you know how to eat a dove? So you, you get a dove, and you get a dove breast, and you, you put some, maybe some cream cheese inside and a little jalapeno, and then you wrap it with bacon, and you grill it, and then when it's all done, you take the bacon out, you eat the bacon, jalapeno, and cheese, and you throw the dove breast away. It's really good stuff. <laughs> it's really, really tasty. Mm. 
But I think about the Holy Spirit every September, especially that sweet moment. But the Holy Spirit rests upon you in that same way. He's not going to come upon you. He's not going to attack you. He's not going to possess you. In fact, he's not going to make you do weird things. Uh, you may receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit today, but you may not get a prayer language until later whenever you're truly ready to receive. And that's something for you. Your prayer language is a grace gift that is specifically for you in your time so that you be edified and built up. I need the prayer language that the Holy Spirit has given me because I need to be edified. That's the purpose of it, according to Scripture. I need to be edified, built up, so that I can come and edify you and build you up. And in fact, you need me to pray in my prayer language so that I can be of edification so I even have anything to give you. What is even being delivered if some, from the platform if someone is not even edifying themselves in the Holy Spirit? Man, man's best effort. You don't need man's best effort. You need the presence and the power of, the rev of revelation of the Holy Spirit. And that's why we need our prayer language so that we have something to give and someone to give from. Let's look at these three together again. The Holy Spirit baptizes us in Christ. That's salvation. The, whole, the disciples baptize us in water. That's water baptism. And Jesus baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. That's the Spirit baptism. Baptized with the Holy Spirit. Here's a question. Is Jesus our model? Jesus is my model. I want to follow Jesus. I don't know. The Jesus I'm telling you about today is the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of the Bible is the one that we should be modeling our life after. So my question is, is Jesus your model? Okay, that's, I got one yes. I got two or three maybe coming out. Salvation, right here. Water baptism, spirit baptism. Did Jesus need all three? Before you answer, I don't want to embarrass anybody. Before you answer, let me show you. Jesus did not need to be saved. Jesus is salvation. But he did know, I need to be water baptized. And then the Father did know, hey, I need, to, I need to descend the Holy Spirit upon you. So if Jesus needed the baptism in the Holy Spirit, how much more do you and I need the baptism in the Holy Spirit? It's all by grace. And this says you're perfect in your position. This helps us to be perfected in our performance. When Peter says, be holy in your conduct, because the scripture says, be holy for I am holy. That's quoting God from the Old Testament. Well, I can't get there. I can get here in position, but I can't get there in conduct until I get the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Because I need empowerment. Jesus was water and spirit baptized. Acts 1.8, let me show you some things. Acts 1, 4, and 5 says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise, remember the promise, of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Acts 2, 37 and 39. It says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And this is what's happened when you have that deep conviction. Gosh, oh, it cuts you to the heart and you want change. You desire change. You may not know what to do, but the desire, the need for change is there. And said to Peter and the rest of them, the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized, that's water baptism, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, the gift that he is referring to right here of the Holy Spirit, those are not spiritual gifts. The gift is the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit comes packed full of gifts, and the Holy Spirit, once you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, will give you any gift that is necessary for the moment as you go into situations that call for a spiritual gift because he's packed full of them. 
Some claim that the baptism in the Holy Spirit was only for the 120 in the upper room. Another party claims that it was only for the apostles or the disciples and that era of living. But let me show you how that completely contradicts Scripture. The group I told you before would be called cessationists. All the gifts and the movement of the Holy Spirit stopped back then. You don't need that today. Well, let me show you what Scripture actually says about that in verse 39. For the promise, remember who the promise is. The promise is the Holy Spirit. He's the gift. Is to you and to your children. No, never mind. It's just for you. No. It says, and for your, to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Do you know you're only in Christ because God called you to him? And you listened and you responded to the prompting of the Holy Spirit? For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off. The promise of the Holy Spirit is for all. Acts 8, 12, and 15. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed, he got saved, and when he was water baptized, baptized, he continued with Philip. And was amazed seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Now, when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. So there's three separate events and three separate circumstances and three separate situations. And I want to show you these three. But my question is, did you receive Jesus when you believed upon him? Did you receive Jesus? Or did you receive just, did you receive the fullness or did you receive just a get out of hell free card? Or when you receive Jesus, did you choose to receive everything that Jesus comes with? Hmm, let me think about that. Look at 1 Corinthians 2.1.2. I want to show you the baptism in the Old Testament and New Testament. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud. Now, as, as the Hebrews came out of Egypt, they were led by a cloud by day and a fire by night. Both, both of those symbolize the Holy Spirit. He says, the fathers were under the Spirit, the cloud, and all passed through the sea. Wait before you go anywhere. Right here, who was leading them? Moses was leading them. Moses was leading them as the cloud or fire would move. Moses would instruct them. Moses, God used Moses to deliver the Hebrew children, God's people, out of Egypt and into the wilderness so that they would be prepared for the, for the promised land. Moses was a type of Christ. He was not Christ in the Old Testament. He was a type of a Savior. He was a picture of a Savior. Throughout eternity, God has always given pictures of things that he wants his people to experience and to live out. It's about to get really deep. Moses, just like Melchizedek, was a type of Christ. Moses led people all the way to the river where they would not be, the Jordan, Joshua later picked up the mantle and led the Hebrew people across the river into the promised land. Joshua, when Moses died, Joshua then became a type of Savior, a type of Christ. He picked up the mantle and walked with it. Moses, coming back to Moses, was a type of Savior. Let me show you in the next verse. All were baptized into Moses. That's salvation. Because Moses delivered them, he saved them from the Pharaoh, from Egypt, from being in bondage. In the cloud, that's the spirit right there. They were baptized into Moses, salvation, spirit, and water. In the Old Testament, God was giving us a picture of the three baptisms. He was giving us the need, the understanding of our need for the three baptisms. Salvation, water, and spirit. Let's, let me show you this graphic right here. This is the tabernacle of Moses. This is, this is the outer court right here. This is the inner court. In the inner court was the holy place. 
behind the veil was the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was. In the holy place was the, 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 uh, the showbread table of showbread. There was the candlestick, the lampstand. There was an altar of incense inside. And outside, in the outer court, there was the gate. The only way to get in was through the, the door. And who was the door? Jesus. Who, 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 there was the altar. Remember, the altar. You know, that's why, this is right, right here is why churches, you know, we say, well, come to the altar. Well, that's the altar where I lay my life down for Christ. And this was a symbolism of salvation right here. But for us... In that moment of deep conviction, we said, I, I give it away. I'm, I'm done. I need a Savior. And Jesus says, uh-uh-uh, you don't have to sacrifice yourself. I'll be your sacrifice. Salvation. And then the brazen labor, which is water. So you'd have to go through salvation, then water baptism, right here, just to get into the most holy, the holy of holies in the most holy place. But before you could enter in, there would have been a pitcher of oil that, was, that had a specific direction of recipe of how to make it, and if it wasn't made that way, it would not be considered holy, and it would be rejected, and so would everything it touched. So outside would be a, pitch, a stand with a pitcher of oil on it, and what would have to be oiled is everything outside, the brazen laver, the altar, the tabernacle, everything inside as well. But get this. No one could go into the place of God, into God's presence, unless they've been saved, water baptized, and anointed with the baptism in the Holy Spirit. You try to get into God's presence your own way, and what happens is you might find salvation, you might get water baptized, but it ain't going to work. Because you've got to be anointed with the, the, the power and the presence, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Let me show you in Scripture. In, in Exodus 30, 25, and 29, I just skipped this long recipe. But if you, could, if you would like, you could go home and make this recipe for yourselves. It makes a huge batch. I don't know if you can break it down into smaller recipes, but you could make anointing oil. Or you could receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit, which is even better. But he gives this huge recipe for uh, making this anointed oil. And it says, it shall be a holy anointing oil. With it, with it, you shall anoint the tabernacle of meeting and the ark of the testimony, the, test, the table of, and all its utensils, the lampstand and, it, and its utensils, and the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, and the laver. So there it is where the salvation takes place in water baptism and laver and its base. You shall consecrate them that they may be most holy, and whatever touches them, you couldn't even touch it. Whatever touches them must all also be holy. And remember, Peter tells us, we talked about it last week, we read the scripture, that you are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. And I told you, I'm not the priest, you are the priests. I mean, I am a priest too, but my main role is to equip you priests for the work of the ministry. Ephesians 4.12. I am here to equip you for your priestly duties. But here's, what, here's what this says in Exodus 30.30. 30, and you shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may minister to me as priests. Man, I wish I could just give you this revelation just in, in your hand. He's saying you need the baptism in the Holy Spirit so that you can truly minister to me in your role. You're all called to be priests. You're a royal priesthood, Scripture says. And you need the baptism in the Holy Spirit. You shall anoint them with this oil and consecrate them. The purpose, do you know that the only reason we are here is to minister back to Jesus? Our whole life, our purpose the things that we found, we came into the door from, we were able to go in and out. The reason we find purpose is so that our lives minister back to Him. My question is, is what you're doing ministering back to Jesus? Does your life lead others 
bring his kingdom, does it benefit and have eternal value? Or is what you're doing completely temporal? It's just going to burn up anyway. Because we're called to be priests, anointed, filled, baptized in His Holy Spirit. And Christ is waiting for you to come to this moment that you're willing to receive this gift. We are at Christmas, a time to celebrate the Father giving us Jesus. And now Jesus wants to turn around and give you something. My question is, will you receive what Jesus is offering? Today we're going to take communion probably have little cups they look like this in front of you in the seat back in front of you there's a little plastic cellophane on top and there's this amazing flavorful wafer of styrofoam thank you but it symbolizes the bread the body of Jesus if you could take that come back to that image that graphic and let me show you where Jesus would have been, the picture of the tabernacle. In fact, actually, every one of these points to Jesus. If I had weeks to show you, I could explain and do a full message series on how everything in the tabernacle points back to Jesus. He is the candle. He is the, the, the candle, uh, the lampstand. He's the light of this world. The showbread, Jesus, who is just a symbol of the coming Messiah, would be on the table of showbread. So here we are today, and Scripture tells us, Paul writes in Corinthians, he says, hey, hey, before you come in and you take communion, you need to know what you're doing. Because you're drinking many things unto yourself, and you haven't self-examined. And you don't know what you're taking upon yourself when you don't examine yourself correctly. No one else can examine you. No one else knows what you've surely you've done. And who cares of what they know? Because it's all about you and the relationship with the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit wants to do in you. Let the Holy Spirit deal with them. He's saying, hey, many have drinking illness upon themselves by taking the communion without self-examining. Many have actually fallen asleep. Because they took communion without self-examining themselves and bringing them back to the righteousness in their heart with God. So today, you may have been one, you know, man, I heard a lot of bad things. I saw, I heard about those churches. Uh-uh. And so in your heart, or even verbally, you spoke negatively, thought negatively, acted negatively, whatever it is, against the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, hey man, you can mess with me. You can speak bad about me. But don't speak against the Holy Spirit. And so maybe today you need to spend a little bit of time repenting. Because if any of this message series in your heart, you're like, mm, and you're resistant to it, that's because you believed a lie about the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is trying to break through that bondage that you're in. body of Christ is in bondage, believing lies, choosing sinful, sinful, sinful choices time after time after time after time, and there's a way out. And I'm tired of having the answer and knowing that you have the answer within you. 
but you just can't see it. My whole purpose in being here is to help lead you out of the bondage that God's people are in. I'm finding my way through my own stuff. I'm not up here standing in righteous and self-righteousness. I got stuff I'm navigating through. But until you start that track, you're never going to realize how much freedom there really is offered for you. And the only way you can do it is if you receive this baptism in the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to walk you through showing you how, to, how this is done. So as, you, as you're thinking about the showbread, the most holy showbread, Jesus Christ, and everything that he gave us and he chooses to give us, he desires for us to have. Now that I realize that the, the baptism in the Holy Spirit is done by Jesus, Jesus, I repent ever believing a lie about the Holy Spirit. I renounce every lie that I agreed with that was against the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, will you forgive me for rejecting you? self-examination right there. And Holy Spirit, you may want to repeat this after me. I want everything that you come with. Jesus, will you baptize me that language in your quiet time spending time with him being edified and built up allowing him to lead you through the struggles the bondages the issues of life the lies of Satan that you've been caught up in we take of this showbread identifying with our Savior see in Exodus this was a picture since Moses led God's people out of Egypt and there was promises made and it's a continual promise that's continually uh, revolving in our lives and there's four things that God continually desires for each of us to continually pass through Old Testament to New Testament. In Exodus 6.6, 6, it says this. It's called the four I wills. It says, therefore, say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. Jewish, in the Jewish culture, they would actually have five cups at their dinner table. Four, they would all drink from. One, no one would drink from. The fifth one would be the cup of Elijah. So 
because they knew there would be a time when Elijah would come. And I told you last week that Elijah did come. And the Jews don't recognize him. Their Messiah came, and they don't accept it. So they won't drink out of this cup of Elijah. But the four cups they pass around and they all drink out of, and I need you to experience this because there's a cup of life that you must continually drink out of and let begin to full, bring fulfillment in your life. The first I will is this. He says, I am the Lord. I will free you from your oppression. That's salvation. You are oppressed, probably possessed. You are in some deep bondage of some kind, whether you knew it or not. And this was a situation for the Hebrew children when they were in Egypt. They were oppressed by Pharaoh and the Egyptians. He says, I'm going to bring you out. I'm going to save you by way of Moses and now by way of Jesus. Remember, Moses was just a type of Christ, a picture of something that would come. And then he says, and I will rescue you from your, your slavery. Now that I got you out of bondage, I've got to get the bondage out of you. And that's where many of the body of Christ is. Well, I got saved. Okay. Now we need to get the bondage out of you. Another reason why we need the baptism in the Holy Spirit. That was the second cup, and they would all pass that cup around. Let's all drink of this cup because we need bondage out of us. That's why we need the teaching and the helper of the counselor, the Holy Spirit. Three, the third I will. It says, I'll remove, I'll rescue you from your slavery in Egypt, and I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. You'll receive power and many gifts, many mighty acts. But whenever you I redeem you, that means to completely restore you to your initial purpose before any brokenness ever took place. Meaning. He wants to redeem us back to how we would be before Adam and Eve ever fell. That's what happens. He sees us in, in Christ Jesus. He sees us per perfect. He sees us redeemed. That's the third cup. And that's when you start to find purpose in your life. When the smudge of yesterday comes off and, and I no longer am canceling out my assignment, my purpose, because I know I did this, I'm not worthy. Nope, I've done this, I can't do that. Nope, I'll never be forgiven for this. Nope, mm -mm, too much shame right there. When all that starts to be brought under the blood of Jesus and the conviction of sin, the conviction of righteousness and the conviction of the judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged, when all of that all the lies you believe that discount, you start to discount yourself. No, I'm too insecure. No, I'm too scared. No, no one ever loved me. No, no one ever believed me. No, no one ever listened. All those little lies that come running through your head continually. When that's done, because the bondage has gotten out of you, you start to find redemption. You start to become all God created you to be. And when you do that, the next one, the next I will is this. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. And in that moment... You start making a difference with others who want to make a difference, doing something that truly makes a difference. And these are the cups that everyone would decide to drink from every time they took communion. Yeah, I'm in on that. I'm in on that. I'm in on that. This is our life with Christ. And I'm sorry if that's been hidden from you in the past. But it's been revealed. And things revealed come with accountability. They come with responsibility. And I can only do so much. And now in self-examination, now it's time for you guys to do your part. So they would take, it, take the cup. They would pass each cup around. And they would celebrate what God had done. And that's the purpose of our life. All of those things were a picture. In fact, our vision statement comes from this, introducing Jesus, salvation, finding freedom. That's getting the bondage out of your life. Connecting to purpose. Now let's get ready to start doing something. When I connect to purpose, I start making a difference. There it is right there. So here we are. Let's tip up our cups. Because Jesus is mighty and 
worthy to be honored. So I want you to even internalize those four cups as you drink this wine. So Jesus, today we take of the blood that washes over us, that says we are redeemed, that says we are free, that says we are saved, and that says that we have the ability to receive the gift from you, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, so that we can be completely empowered to live a full life here and now on earth. And we take this cup in your name.